welcome to Intersect Where Church Meets Culture. I'm Josh Desch, the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am joined as always by my inquisitive wife, Betsy. Hey, everybody. Great to see you, Bets. Thank you. Great to be back in studio, isn't Always, it? always. Well, I chose the adjective inquisitive because, Bets, you are not a professional therapist. You're not a professional psychiatrist. You don't... Very far from it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't work in the field of mental health. No, I do not. But you are certainly inquisitive and incredibly bright. And you recently read a book that we want to talk about today. You read a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And that is our topic for today. So here's the title of the episode, everyone. Exploring Trauma, Review of the Body Keeps the Score. So Betsy, why don't we start out by talking about maybe even how you heard about this book, who is the author of this book, and um, this book I just read today I, I believe I saw that it has been on the New York Times bestseller list for 146 straight weeks. Wow. Or, or it was at one point uh, over that roughly three-year period. So talk to us about this book. Why is this book making waves, and how did you hear about it? So the book is entitled, The Body Keeps a Score. The subtitle is Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. It's written by the psychiatrist Bessel van der Kolk. He he was born in the Netherlands. I believe he is now in his late 70s. He is a psychiatrist based in Boston, and he's the former co-director of the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. So he is a highly respected um, psychiatrist. He's published many, many peer-reviewed studies in scientific journals. So this guy knows his stuff. Um, he is very much an expert in the field of the healing of trauma. So, um, I guess I came across this book in a couple of ways. One of my, um, dear friends from seminary is a marriage and family therapist. And I think in the course of conversation with her over the years, she at some point mentioned this book. So the title was in the back of my mind somewhere. And then, um, Josh, when, um, we've mentioned before on the podcast that we are prayerfully pursuing foster care uh-huh. as a family. Uh-huh. So um, this past spring, we did one of the training um, webinars in order to be licensed as a foster family. And the trainer mentioned the book, The Body Keeps the Score, as a book that's helpful to understand um, the trauma that chil- some of the children in foster care are coming out of and what kind of responses that evokes in them physiologically, mentally, physically, everything. So I thought that that would be a helpful book for me to read as we want to be um, the most informed that we can as we set out on a journey of being foster parents, Lord willing. So anyway, that's kind of how I started reading the book. And I will say it is not like a psychiatry textbook at all. It's very readable. Yes, very, very readable, very interesting. It's not at any point been something that's really difficult to get through or very hard to understand. He writes in a way that's very engaging. It is a very heavy book, um, obviously, because of the topic. Um, but everything is handled with a lot of care, and it's just it's fascinating. It's well-written. I have very read excerpts. So. I have not read the entire book like you have, but let's just jump right in. What is the score that the body is keeping, Betsy? Well, I think before we even get there, I think it's helpful. It's always helpful to define terms, you know, mm-hmm. because trauma is something that is 
spoken about widely in our culture. What is it exactly, right? So if you just Google what is trauma, um, I came across a couple of definitions. A deeply distressing or disturbing experience or a physical injury, you know, because you might say there's been trauma to that tissue or whatever. So sometimes that's the way that the word is used. Then the American Psychological Association defines trauma as an emotional response to a terrible event. Hmm. So there's a, a, there are different types of trauma. There's an acute trauma, and that results from a single incident, maybe a car accident or something like that that's a very traumatic thing that happens to someone in one moment. Mm -hmm. And then there's chronic trauma, which is repeated or prolonged, something mm -hmm. like domestic violence, mm. um, child abuse. And then there's something called complex trauma, which is exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events, more like a web situation. Mm. So our author, Bessel van der Kolk, he was interviewed in The Guardian last year in an article entitled Trauma, Trust, and Triumph. Psychiatrist Bessel van der Kolk on how to recover from our deepest pain. This was in September of 2021. We'll link this in our show notes. Um, it's a great article. It's kind of almost a summary of a lot yeah, that he helpful. says in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I want to just mention one thing that he said in the interview. He said, we define trauma as an event outside the normal human veins of experience. Um, mm, that's helpful that that's that expansive of a definition, mm -hmm. right? right? Because a lot of people might think, I've never been in a head-on collision. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a, not a veteran. I'm not a war veteran, right. exactly. I wasn't abused as a child or whatever, but um, trauma can take many different forms. And he also highlights at several points in the book just how prevalent different forms yeah. of trauma are in our culture, very sadly. Yeah, and I mean, Bets, listen, in that same Guardian article, we read this, at least one-third of couples globally engage in physical violence. Mm. The number of kids who get abused and abandoned is just staggering. Mm -hmm. So trauma is way more common than maybe we want to acknowledge or maybe that we're aware of. Right. Yep, exactly. So, um, so I think it's really valuable to have some kind of very basic understanding. And I'm just going to say from the outset, I am not going to do this book justice um, in a very short podcast episode. You know, it's 350 pages and it's just full of really good stuff. Honestly, if you had a mind to, you could do an episode on every chapter. That's how complex and rich and deep it is. So if this is something that you feel like for any of our listeners would touch you personally or someone you love, or would be helpful to you in any way, I really do recommend it. It's a it's a great book, and again, even a layman can understand yeah, yeah. it and um, and benefit from. But it But even a lot. if you don't read the book, you will benefit from a Cliff's Notes yes understanding because his his premise is so basic, bets right. And if I if I could just throw that out, the the premise is really um, when we go through trauma. What the brain does is it seeks to suppress that trauma to to keep it out of the forefront of our memory, right? It's mm -hmm. a it's a protective mechanism which makes complete sense. That's completely logical. And yet that trauma is still stored within our bodies. Yeah. So he so going to the title, The Body Keeps a Score, you know, if you think about what's the score, I think usually that's in a sports context. Mm -hmm. You know, the score is the record of of what's happened. Right. 
the score is if you sit down and you're jumping into the middle of a football game, the first thing you ask is what's the what's score? The score? Yeah. That means what's happened up until now. Yep. What how has the game unfolded? So in the same way, when when he speaks about the body keeps the score, it's kind of the record how the person's life has unfolded. And so in a way that the conscious brain may not always be aware of the body is storing things physiologically that a person may not be aware of or may not be able to articulate um, in, in a lot of ways. So in order to explore this book, very, again, on a very surface level, um, I just want to look at six things that were particularly impactful. And I, again, I had a real difficult time narrowing it to six because I basically highlighted the whole book. But um, for time, we will not do quite all of them. Let's so, jump in. What's number one? Yes. So number one, I, I thought was just kind of a helpful recap of what he means again by the body keeps the score. So this is, this is a quote from the book. Trauma is much more than a story about something that happened long ago. The emotions and physical sensations that were imprinted during the trauma are experienced not as memories, but as disruptive physical reactions in the present. Mm, wow. So it's not so. Um, so what I learned from this book the, is it's not it's not necessarily yes that thing happened to me a long time ago, um, but it's also what it what how your body has taken shape and and how your mind has been formed as a result of those things happening. Yeah, can I can I do a little Greek mm -hmm. with us for a minute? Ooh, so in sure. seminary, one of the ways you you learn Greek, you learn which of course is the language the New Testament was written in is that you learn the various verb tenses. And you learn uh, that the aorist tense, for example, is, is the past tense. But there's this wonderful verb tense in the New Testament that is the present active indicative, which, and I hope I, hope I got this right, um, but the point <laughs> this is- This is how you remember it. It refers to a past event with ongoing implications, mm. with ongoing results. So, so often when we're reading in the New Testament about the cross, for example, um, Sometimes it's it's in the past tense, but other times it's used as a past tense event with ongoing results. Mm. That's what you're saying about trauma. Yes. You're saying um, we can't say trauma is simply this thing that happened to me in the past with and and now it doesn't have these ongoing events, but rather it is this past event that continues to shape my present. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 part of the point that the author makes here is that we aren't even that people who have been traumatized aren't even necessarily aware of um, they aren't even necessarily aware or able to separate themselves from to get a, an arm's length view as it were to mm -hmm. be able to examine oh that happened to me and this is how it's affecting me mm -hmm. it's all just mm -hmm. one big and thing. isn't it Betts don't you think that every person that goes through something traumatic of course you just want to forget it yeah. Like you just mm -hmm. want to say that's done. I don't want to think about that. That was terrible. I mean, why would you want it to have any ongoing implications in your life? Your desire is that it's completely in the past. I never want to deal with that again. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that's just not the way trauma works. That's right. Yeah. So another thing that I thought was um, fascinating is um, there was a long discussion of our brain structure, okay? And this is very relevant to how our brains process information. So our, um, 
This is in a chapter called Running for Your Life, The Anatomy of Survival. So he speaks of the brain as having a few different levels. So there's something called the reptilian brain, okay? That's located in the brain stem, and I'm just going to read from the book. The reptilian brain is responsible for all the things that newborn babies can do. Eat, sleep, wake, cry, breathe, feel temperature, hunger, wetness, and pain, rid the body of toxins. So it's just these very, very basic things. Control the energy levels of the body, functioning of the heart and lungs. It's the things that you never think about that your body does automatically. And Mm. if it didn't do it, you'd be dead. Got it. Right. So then there's... um, So it's not... Some people believe in creatures called reptilians. But do you oh, know about that? I don't know that's, anything about that. Okay, don't worry. It'd be glad you don't know about that. That's yeah. not what we're talking about. That is not These what are we're not reptilians. About. This is our reptilian brain. Exactly. Okay. So then uh, we have the next level, as it were, is called the limbic system. Okay, also known as the mammalian brain, because mm-hmm. all animals who are mammals have this level of brain function. Okay. So a lizard has the first. Serious, I think so. And, and serious, yeah. Seriously. Um, I think. But it would not, a lizard would not have a mammalian brain, obviously. I guess not. Yeah. You know, we're kind of beyond our sure. our scope of what Keep we going. know here. Just, anyway. Just tell us what he said. Okay. So the limbic system is the seat of the emotions, the monitor of danger, the judge of what is pleasurable or scary, mm. the arbiter of what is or is not important for survival purposes. Um. So that's kind of where we have this filtering function of what information is important, what information is not important. You know, you think about what the brain's doing at all times. It's a constant filtering and integrating and um, all these different functions we just take for granted. So the um, so that level, um, those two together, the reptilian brain and the limbic system or the mammalian brain, those are called the emotional brain when they're put together. It's at the heart of your central nervous system. And the key task is to look out for your welfare. Mm. Okay? Okay. So then we move from the emotional brain, which is comprised of the reptilian and the mammalian. We move into the neocortex. Okay? And this is what we have as um, humans, the frontal lobes. They're responsible for the qualities that make us uniquely human. Yes, and, and I and I believe parents. These are the. This is the part that develops last. Yes. So when your te- <laughs> so right. when your teenagers are acting crazy, their frontal cortex is not developed. I believe until the mid twenties for men. Yes, which is crazy. Yeah, women are, women are ahead of us, like in so many other ways. It's so crazy. Yep. So when a person experiences trauma. One of the challenges is um, that that emotional brain gets stuck in um, uh, part of the emotional brain is is comprised of the amygdala, and it the author calls it the brain smoke detector, and mm. its function is to identify whether the incoming input is relevant for survival, and so when a person experiences trauma, the um, one of the issues is the amygdala's danger trigger is always going off Hmm. that it gets stuck and um so things that shouldn't pose danger they do and so there's these there's a constant release of powerful stress hormones increased heart rate blood pressure rate um you're you breathing you're breathing more heavily preparing people to for fight or flight so that is makes total sense Mm -hmm. our body is is thinking i need to prepare to save myself yes from dying 
Right. Yes. Exactly. So that is that was something really fascinating that I learned is that that's part of the or that can be part of the outworking of trauma that your body gets stuck in this heightened fate in this heightened state where things that shouldn't be perceived as a threat are perceived as a threat. And um, so so it's interesting. How do you. Um, how do you treat that? You know, do you just talk to someone about, well, that shouldn't be perceived as a threat? No, because it's a physiological issue as well. So another thing that he said that was really interesting is he said, neuroscience research shows that very few psychological problems are the results of defects in understanding. Mm. Most... That's a uh, big point, what Beth just said. Yeah, most originate in pressures from deeper regions in the brain that drive our perception and attention. So when the alarm bell of the emotional brain keeps signaling that you're in danger, no amount of insight will silence it. Wow. So I think what he means there is you can't, when someone is traumatized, you can't necessarily just go to a therapist and talk your way out of, because your body is doing That's something. Right. That's right. It's not that you are being irrational. Mm-hmm. It's not that, you know, people talk about this all the time. Um, I'm afraid to get on an airplane. The, the, the problem is not that you go to a therapist and the therapist says, well, do you know the chances of, you, of an airplane crashing are actually far less than being in a car crash? Or the person already knows all that, right. most likely. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, not, right. that's not where the uh, physical response is coming from. Right. Your body has to be retrained to you know, identify um, dangers mm. in a way that's um, not a trigger of trauma, if that wow. makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So just a couple more things I wanted to highlight. Again, this is um, just such a, a book that's just full of so much. So one thing that I really appreciate that Vanderkolk talks about is how we are relational creatures. And we know this as yeah. believers, yep. that we are people made in God's image. We are people made for relationships. He talks about this quite a bit in the book. He does. I noticed that in a number of sections. Mm-hmm. Yep. He does. So... Um, I wanted to just read this section here. Our culture teaches us to focus on personal uniqueness, but at a deeper level, we barely function, uh, sorry, we barely exist as individual organisms. Our brains are built to help us function as members of a tribe. So he says, we find that almost all mental suffering involves either trouble in creating workable and satisfying relationships Um, or difficulties in regulating arousal. So meaning you're habitually enraged or you shut down or you're over or excited or you're disorganized. Um, And those are things that make relationships difficult. So, Mm. um, So, but but the the relational thing is the key thing there. That's right. Right? Right. Because I want to be able to relate to people in normal ways. Mm -hmm. And those things are disruptive to that. Yeah. So I love what he says here. Being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. Um, He says the critical issue is reciprocity being truly heard and seen by the people around us, feeling that we are held in someone's mind and heart. For our physiology to calm down, heal, and grow, we need a visceral feeling of safety. Mm. And, you know, how how sorrowful is it that for many people, they don't have something as basic as people that they feel safe around. Yeah, I was recently listening to a, another podcast on mental health and the challenges of mental health. And the podcast mentioned 
and and the doctors and any clinicians who might listen to this will understand this that the uh, the model in Western psychiatry for probably at least 50 years has been very much a chemical bio approach, mm-hmm. which is that we'll yep. just put a pill, we'll just put a chemical in your body and that will solve your problems. And yet so much of the cause of mental health issues, it has a relational component. It may not be exclusively a relational component, right. but um, I mean, we know this, we see homelessness, we see people struggling. And so often what these individuals need is not simply good medications, uh, although that those have a role to play. Sure. But it's connection. That's right. It's relationships. That's right. We were made for that. It's being valued and protected and cared for by other people. Mm. And you see the pain that is caused when that when those relationships aren't there. Uh, because again, that's part of our DNA as humans to be in connection with other people. And Vandercock talks a lot about um, as you said, the field of psychiatry, the 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 very heavy reliance on drugs, and again, of course, psychiatric drugs have sure. their place. No one is saying they don't. Yeah. But one thing he says that I um, I found really profound is he said drugs cannot cure trauma; they can only dampen the expression of a disturbed physiology, and they don't teach the lasting lessons of self regulation. They can help to control feelings and behavior, but always at a price because they work by blocking the chemical systems that regulate engagement, motivation, pain, and pleasure. Mm. So that's not to say that drugs don't have their place, but in the healing of trauma, he's saying people need that those deep connections in community. Yeah, that's so significant. And of course, there's there's reasons why our medical uh, establishment's gone in that direction. Sure. One of them is it's just easier to give a pill mm-hmm. to someone than to embed them in community. Right. Um, where a lot of times what the what the person needs is community. They mm-hmm. need relationships. They need to feel valued and heard. And this is where, you know, this podcast is called Intersect, where church meets culture. What an absolute head-on meeting we're having here between a cultural issue that is so widespread trauma. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, when we talk about community, if you're a Christian, I mean, come on, it's all over the Bible. Mm -hmm. The foundation is in the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, it is not good for man to be alone. The foundation is in our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in relationship we have all the resources to provide the rich community that God designed us to have. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Well, I just want to highlight one final thing, um, and this was really impactful, very sobering. So he talks about a study that was done. This was several years ago. It's called an ACE study. ACE stands for Adverse Child Experience. Mm. Um, so studying people who had these really difficult and traumatic experiences in childhood. So he's he's talking about um, an employee at the CDC, and he was announcing the the study data that came from this ACE study. So this man is named Robert Anda, just for background. But anyway, he realized, Robert Anda, the author, one of the authors of the study, that they had stumbled upon the gravest and most costly public health issue in the United States, child abuse. He had calculated that its overall costs exceeded those of cancer or heart disease, and that eradicating child abuse in America would reduce the overall rate of depression by more than half, alcoholism by two-thirds, 
and suicide, IV drug use, and domestic violence by three quarters. It would also have a dramatic effect on workplace performance and vastly decrease the need for incarceration. So when you think about, you know, our world is so complex and there's um, just so much going on at all, and, and he's saying so many of these issues can have a common root in traumatic experiences. Uh. And were those things to be eradicated or addressed in a different way, we would see a difference in our public health yeah. um, collectively. Yeah, and, and here's where our Christian uh, worldview really matters because this these kind of insights, if they don't lead us to compassion, then something's wrong. That's right. Because we know that so often in America, we're reduced to sort of this mindset of you are what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the drug user is just this irresponsible that's right. person that's failed to Can't make it. it. The and... criminal is just this deadbeat mm-hmm. that makes horrible decisions. That's right. Look, none of us are, we're not denying personal responsibility. Of course, there's personal responsibility. Right. But his insight is how much of these terrible, costly uh, things that exp- that we see in our culture are rooted in trauma. That's right. Yeah, and a couple things come to my mind, and and he says this in the book, hurt people hurt people. Mm, Wow. And, you know, so these cycles of pain and trauma are um, continued, and and something has to interrupt those cycles. And also, the other thing it brings to mind is that we are truly mind-body people. Um, We are mind, soul, spirit, body, all together. And so things that hurt us hurt our bodies too and yep. have those yep. physical outworkings as we talked about. Yep. And so even things like um, heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, like all these different things that we would think aren't related to, you know, mental health, they yep. are. Yep. You remember the movie we were watching last night? Oh, is Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Back. Strikes Back. Yes. Do you remember? I don't know how this is related though. <laughs> <laughs> Hang with me. There. Uh, remember Yoda is training Luke. He's like in that swamp planet. Yeah. And at one point, he points his little finger at Luke, and he's like, the material is bad. Spirit is good. Oh, uh, yes, he did <laughs> say that. You remember that? Yeah, he, yeah. he says, He mm-hmm. says, get past this dirty material stuff. Yeah. That is such a classic uh, philosophical religious mm-hmm. idea. It goes back centuries. The Bible always says that God made our bodies good. Our bodies matter, that we are body-soul beings. And um, contrary to what Yoda says, and I like a, I like a lot of what he says. <laughs> <laughs> He's fun. He's fun. Um, our bodies do matter. That's right. And our bodies keep the score. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted um, to talk about the, the so what. You know, you read a book like this or you hear about topics like this, sometimes we come away and we say, this is such a huge thing. Like, what can one person do? First of all, um, God always wants us to pray about what he would have us do with what we know. Second of all, I think, as you already said, knowing these things, learning about these things, they need to create and stir in us compassion. And the reality is, uh-huh. you don't know what someone has experienced. I don't know what someone has experienced. You know, he he tells all kinds of stories about his patients over the years. Some are were just severely debilitated and couldn't even really function in normal life. There were other people who, by the world's standards, had 
they totally had it made. They're at the top of their careers, but yet they were so relationally hampered that um, they had so many struggles in their lives. So you just don't know. We, yeah. we don't know what someone has walked through. Yeah, and Bets, I'm imagining our listeners right now are thinking about their own trauma. That's right. The the things that they have experienced. And, and I understand that we want to be careful about how we use that word. Mm-hmm. We don't want to call everything trauma. That's right. But on the other hand, if you're a very self-reliant person, your tendency is probably to not want to call something trauma that was. Mm. Okay, maybe you didn't fight in war. Maybe bullets didn't go past you. Maybe you weren't sexually or physically abused. But you went through some very difficult things and you haven't wanted to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's just, there's a lot, a lot, a lot there. So I think um, as people who who love Jesus, our calling is to love and to love fiercely, to be those safe people for other people who really love richly and deeply. And again, not knowing what someone has experienced. Yeah. Um, you know, that person in front of you at the grocery store or whatever, maybe acting crazy, you know what? They they may be just barely holding it together. Yeah, that person that's a crazy person on the road, mm-hmm. weaving in and out, honking yep. at people, flipping the bird. Right. I mean, again, um, you we, we, we need to be able as Christians to hold together personal responsibility as well as um, sin, generational sin. Mm-hmm. You know, we are both sinners and those who have been sinned against. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to hold those two things together. That's right. And um, we just, you know, God's calling for us is to walk with a deep, deep compassion for other people and to always seek out people we can be in relationship with. Yep. That's our calling. Well, we are grateful for this book. Bets, we're mm-hmm. grateful that you took us in this deep dive on this book, The Body Keeps the Score. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more great content in season five. And finally, a word to our listeners who live in the Columbia area. If you are seeking pastoral help with your own trauma, or if you would like recommendations on counselors who can help you deal with trauma, we would invite you to reach out to us at Intersect. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page or the Intersect podcast group on Facebook. But we would be happy to help you and point you to godly resources to help you deal with any trauma that you have in your own life. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye.